medicine. My name is Joe Sexton. I'm married to Tracy Sexton. Uh, we have two kids, Brody and Avery. Uh, they're seven and three. We've been going to Solace for six years. This is my story. Basically, I, uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up uh, with friends that went to church, but, uh, and I would go every now and then. I never really felt a connection. I never felt something that, I never felt like I was being pulled that way. Uh, growing up, my, my parents and I, we, we moved around a lot. Um, it was hard for me to make friends. It was, I, until I was in high school, I didn't spend more than two um, school grades at one school. People made fun of me a lot. Um, I was always the new kid. I didn't really feel like I fit in. So, um, and then when I kind of had this little stack of magazines that I could show my friends and I became a cool guy. My very first experience with pornography actually developed when I was probably eight or nine years old. I, uh, I found a magazine and I, uh, and I looked through it. Um, it was kind of cool. I would uh, show it to my friends and I became like the cool guy. Um, and then fast forward to high school, uh, the internet became a little more prevalent. Um, you can see stuff online. Um, you're taught to fit in and all my friends were having sex and they were doing drugs and, um, and I never really felt like I needed to go that far as to have sex and um, I never did any drugs. I didn't really feel a lot of pressure there but that door that was opened up when I was younger, I just felt pulled back there a lot. Um, get to college, again, it's just even more rampant. Um, my wife and I uh, met right before I went to college. She was, has been a Christian basically her whole life. Still don't really understand what she saw in me. Um, I was a lost person. And uh, she saw something, so, and I'm thankful she did. Um, but she made me want to be a better person. She's the one that made me want to be a Christian. I knew that she was worth a lot more than marrying somebody that wasn't. Um, so I started going to church with her. I started um, um, seeking that a little more. Um, and I felt like I was in a good place. Um, I felt like I was saved. Um, I had asked God into my, in my heart. Um, but I still didn't see anything wrong with viewing the stuff that I was viewing. To me, it was something I did by myself. Um, I, I could view it when nobody was home. I could view it um, when my wife went to bed or something. It just, but I just felt pulled to look at it a lot. I would, I would find myself. Um, you know, we had cable, so, and I knew on Friday and Saturday nights they would show movies with a lot of nudity in them, and I would find myself looking forward to that for the weekend. I would be excited when my wife would go to the store without me, so I could. I could view it without her knowing. Um, and immediately afterwards, I would feel shamed. So 
you know, there's, there's not many things that you do that you get that immediate gratification and then you feel shamed right afterwards um, that there's not many things that you do, can do that with that are, that are good. Looking back on it, I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? But um, I facilitated the Solace group at Solace um, back when they were home teams at the time. And uh, we were going through a book that Craig Rochelle wrote called Fight. And through that book, um, I just really felt God pulling on my heart saying that I need to stop this. I need to um, direct my attention to my wife. I need to fight those urges. Um, and that's kind of, was kind of the premise behind the book there. And um, so I did, I, uh, I decided to stop. Um, I kind of just quit. I started praying about it um, a lot more. And um, I shared it with the group, um, which was kind of hard for me to do. Um, and I told them, I said, and tonight when I get home, I'm gonna tell my wife. And that was one of the most difficult things I ever did. Um, so I get home that night and I tell my wife and I think I'm setting up this big story. And um, I almost was trying to defend myself uh, ahead of time. But, and then when I got done telling her, she says, I know. She knew the whole time. And instead of confronting me, she just prayed for me because she knows that I have a combative heart and if I, I feel pushed, I go, I run away. Um, so she didn't, she didn't, um, she didn't push it. She just prayed and it worked. So I, uh, and then I, like I said, I shared with the guys in the group and I had, uh, had a couple guys afterwards tell me that they struggle with the same thing. And uh, I didn't know that. Um, and I was like, well, that, that's gonna help. I, I, need, I need like accountability. I need somebody to be able to talk to. You're always gonna have the support of, of God. You've got that relationship with him. You can talk to him. Um, but having a, a physical person there to talk to and um, lean on, it really helps. Uh, like I said, I've got a couple different ones. I've got um, the people that from my, from my solace group that I still visit with about things. I've got a connection at work, um, um, and I actually have my wife I can fight in. Um, like I said, she's she's actually my best friend, um, and it uh, it's brought us closer. It's it's made us made our relationship tighter because we know that there's there's no boundaries. We, um, all of my heart is all of hers and all of her heart is all of mine. It's important that once you know that there is an issue there, you, you need to seek out those other people that are struggling um, or have struggled in the past and they're gonna be able to help get you through it. It's not just the pornography, it's, it's addiction in general. Um, once you are exposed to something, you're exposed to, I was exposed to those images. Um, I was, uh, someone else was exposed to alcoholism. Someone else was exposed to drugs. Um, once you're exposed to that, you can't unsee it. You can't unfeel what you felt. Um, and even though you can suppress it and try to move forward through prayer and um, surround yourself with the right people, there's always those urges. And 
those urges are natural. That's okay. It's understandable. You have those urges, but um, where Christians can separate themselves is that we have someone else to lean on. It's God. You can't go anywhere and not see a billboard, a commercial, um, hear a music video, and you just see images. And it just even just scrolling through Facebook, you see images that, and it and it triggers it, and it's like. I would like to view more of that, or at a deeper level, um, but I don't. Um, I used to, and uh, you know, the I look back on it now, and I didn't realize it at the time, but we it it really affected the intimacy between me and my wife. Um, it robbed us of that intimacy. Um, instead of me going to bed when my wife went to bed, and being with her, um, I was staying up and I was viewing other people, and that's—I mean—that's awful to think about now. And but I didn't realize it what I was doing at the time. It affects more than just me, and that's what I want everybody to know: is that it doesn't matter what your addiction is, it doesn't matter um, how much you think you're alone when you do it. You're not. Maybe it's not pornography. Um, Maybe it's, maybe it's alcoholism, maybe it's gambling, maybe it's just lust, maybe it's hate. There's things that we all struggle with, and there's a vice, and um, it doesn't really matter the vice, it, but there's a way out of it. There's a way out. The thing I love about Saul's Church is we're not afraid to talk about the hard subjects. Um, we get that from our pastor. He, uh, and... Uh, I'm not sure at any other place I would feel safe talking about something as taboo as pornography addiction. Um, but it, Solace is a family, and it's a supportive family. And um, it's real life. So. Well, good morning, Solace Church. Thank you so much for being here. Today is we're in week two of our series called This Is My Story. And if you're a guest, thank you for choosing to be here this week. We're going to be talking about some, uh, some sensitive uh, information and material. And so viewer discretion is advised for the rest of the service. Um, it won't be too personal. It won't be too much. But just want you to know that that's going to be a little bit of our content moving forward. If you're watching online at solacechurch.com, we always say thank you for being a part of our online community. But I can't wait to see you here on campus uh, very soon as well. So I hope that you'll join us at one of our morning services here on campus. Um, before I talk about Joe's story, and by the way, Joe Sexton, thank you for sharing your story with us. It is incredibly difficult to be willing to share your story, but I know Joe's heart is for him to, for God to use his story, the grace, the freedom that he's experienced, uh, and maybe it will impact someone else's life. I, I, I believe it will even someone's life in this room. So, let's talk today about this addiction, specifically about pornography. Um, I was uh, first exposed to uh, internet pornography or inappropriate stuff online when I was 17. Now, I had seen uh, nudity before growing up. We had HBO in my house, and I saw several movies. And, and actually, uh, and I won't give you all the details, but... Um, we had a little, little scenario with my brother and cousins and friends. Uh, we knew where a stash of pornographic magazines were, and they didn't let me see them because I was really young, but I was the lookout for them while they went and watched. 
And uh, sorry, mom and dad, you may not have known that. Um, but uh, I remember at 17, uh, I was first really exposed to, to, the, to the internet and, and the dangers of the internet. Uh, we had AOL dial-up internet. Some of you teenagers have no clue how good you have it. It was dial-up, you logged in, all those you know, weird noises that it made while it was connecting, and then AOL, you know, welcome. And you always, always, always were praying for the moment when you had mail, because then it would say, you've got mail. It was just amazing experience, so slow. But AOL had a chat feature, and I don't even remember how I found uh, my way through this, but I ended up talking with an individual through AOL chat. And this individual said that, that she said that she was a female and she was like 25 or 26 years old. Now, it's very likely it was some guy who was 60 years old, right? And that creeps me out to think about that. But I mean, I had no idea, honestly, who was on the other end. And, and there was an inappropriate conversation that took place. And at that moment, I realized this is not okay. It's not right. It was scary. It was overwhelming. And I felt terribly guilty through that process. And that was my first exposure into that world and now we have high-speed internet and Cox is getting us a huge boost internet pornography is very prevalent as a matter of fact Barna has done us a huge favor Um, um, I have with me my sermon notes I'll be reading this verbatim should take a while but no Barna has produced um, an incredible an incredible uh, study Uh, And by the way, I would encourage you to go to their website. The study is called The Porn Phenomenon. And it's like 150 pages. If you're a parent with a teenager or, you know, a parent that's about to have a teenager in your home, I would highly recommend you getting this resource. Barna, along with Josh McDowell, does an incredible job at helping us understand how pervasive pornography use is in our society. I'm going to give you just one of the statistics pages that they provide for us that allow us to see what the, what the current state of affairs are. Now, here's some really good news. The use of pornography inside the church is much less than it is outside the church. And I want to celebrate that. Because one of the critiques about the church is that we look no different than the world. But that's not true. Inside the church, there is a sense of, of a rightness or wrongness, rather, of the use of pornography, and there is a sense of struggle against it. There is this, there is this view that we're going to battle against it, not embrace it. In our society today, people believe that not recycling is more wrong than using pornography. Barna reveals this to us in this study. But here's the current state of affairs in the United States. And I want you to notice the difference between those who would be considered non-Christian outside the church and those that would be considered Christian inside the church. All right, so follow me. Males who are not practicing Christians, ages 13 to 24, so teenagers to young adults, 72% of them use pornography regularly. The next highest group are males who are non-practicing Christians who are 25 or older, 55% of them use pornography pornography regularly. The next highest group, and we should all take note inside the church today, males who are practicing Christians, ages 13 to 24, 41% of them use pornography regularly. It's inside the church. It's sharply different than outside the church, but it's still a common practice of teenagers and young adults within the church. 
Females, next highest group, non-practicing Christians, ages 13 to 24, 36% use pornography regularly. It is not just a man's problem. It's a huge misnomer. The next highest group would be males practicing Christians, ages 25 and over. 23% of them use pornography regularly. The numbers drop pretty significantly from this point forward for females. Um, females who are 25 or older who are not practicing Christians, 17% of them use pornography regularly. And the last two groups, females who are practicing Christians who are 13 to 24 years of age, 13% of them use pornography regularly. And I know that seems like a small margin compared to the other numbers we've just heard, but 1 in 10 teenage or young adult girl in the church uses pornography regularly. The last group is females uh, who are practicing Christians who are 25 and older. Only 5% of them use pornography on a regular basis. Again, as I said, I would highly recommend you getting this research by George Barna. It is an incredible read. I think it's important for every family to at least consider this information. So that's the current state of affair. This is where we are in our society. This addiction is very prevalent. One of the things that I've done at Solace Church over the years is talk about the importance of boundaries in fighting against pornography. And I think boundaries are critically important. I appreciate Joe's comments about having a circle of friends and accountability group. I think all that is critically important. Internet filtering and content protection is also very important as well. I would say if you have a teenager in the home, you better be monitoring their internet activity, even on their phone. Sorry, teenagers, I know this is uncomfortable. I just think it's a good idea because of how prevalent and available the information is. But I don't want to talk to you today about boundaries. As important as they are, I want to take a different approach this morning. Because I think this is the part that most people don't talk about. I think there's a spiritual component here, but I also think there's a physiological component that maybe you've not heard about that would be helpful if you're battling with any kind of addiction, but primarily today speaking of pornography. So let's talk about that. What is is pornography? What What is the addiction of pornography? Here it is. Pornography is taking something that God meant for good and distorting it for some selfish motivation. Even if that motivation in and of itself is purely good. So pornography is taking what God created for good, which is intimacy, and trying to find a shortcut or alternative path to achieving intimacy. God has designed sexual intimacy for a husband and wife in a marriage relationship. Pornography finds a way to try to achieve that apart from that relationship. But as anyone who's ever viewed pornography and has ever experienced that that world, you know it is no substitute. As a matter of fact, one of the things we should learn from Joe's story, and one of the things we should learn in general about addiction, is that addiction never fully satisfies And the reason why addiction can never fully satisfy is because, again, addiction is simply taking something God created for good and distorting it or perverting it and using it in a way that actually brings destruction. That's what it does. And so addiction cannot ever satisfy because it's a distortion of what God created for good. So that's the platform of our understanding. So let's build on that. How is it that someone who battles with pornography can be freed from the use of pornography? Let's talk about that. So, 
with this idea that addiction can never fully satisfy, think about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. These are Jesus' words. He's, he's preaching this incredible message, probably the greatest message ever delivered to humanity. Of course, Jesus would have done that. The greatest message ever delivered to humanity comes from Matthew chapter 5. These are Jesus' words, and he lists for us a, a series of what's called Beatitudes. And one of these Beatitudes... Is, is, is found in verse 6, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you see the competing ideas? Addiction, a, a, a distortion of what God made for good, never fully satisfies. There's always an emptiness after engaging in the addiction. But hungering and thirsting for righteousness can bring a satisfying feeling effect that cannot be found in the addiction. Do you see the, do you see the, the, the competing ideas here? All right, now, when people view this verse, this seems like baggage. They go, oh my gosh, I, I got it. Okay, so it's obvious to me I'm just not trying hard enough. Okay, so, so tomorrow I promise I'll try harder to overcome this. I promise, Matt, I'm a good Christian and I do love God and I'll show you how hard I try, or by how hard I try, that I really love Jesus. It feels overwhelming, doesn't it? Like a, <laughs> one more thing I have to do. Let me free you for a moment, okay? I think what Jesus is getting at here is a hungering and thirsting not for acts of righteousness in and of themselves, but for a sense of righteousness. Let me explain to you what that means. Righteousness really is larger than just doing. Righteousness is, is really about, about three different concepts. It's about standing, about being, and then about doing. And if you miss any of these, you miss the heart of righteousness. When Jesus says we should hunger and thirst after righteousness, he's speaking of a desire within us to, to achieve or to experience what righteousness really is. What is righteousness? Threefold. Number one, it's right standing. That is, because of what Jesus did for me in the cross, God declares me righteous. That is my identity. Right being, that is, I'm in a right relationship with God ongoing. It's not just that God declared me righteous, but that I have an ongoing, abiding relationship with my Father. It is a right standing with God. And hear me, out of the overflow of my standing and being comes my doing. Most Christians feel like righteousness is simply about doing, and it's a heavy burden no one can bear. Righteousness flows from standing, being, and then to doing. Your behavior and your freedom from addiction will not come simply from trying harder to be righteous. It will come from understanding my identity, abiding in this relationship with Christ, and then experiencing the freedom that comes. Now, all right, so that's good theology. You ready now? Here's what I know about anyone that has an addiction. <laughs> what I just said to you seems like, first of all, it seems a little bit foreign, and it also seems impossible. So, so I'm going to say a couple things, and you're not going to believe me, and I know you're not going to believe me because I've already preached this once, okay? So I know you're not going to buy into what I'm about to say, and I'm okay with that, but don't leave the room. I want to give you a statement that you're not going to believe. And before it's all said and done, I believe that you'll see it is exactly right. So if you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. Intimacy with God is the greatest form of intimacy mankind can experience. Now, in light of what we just learned about Matthew chapter 5, if I am in a right relationship with God, I'm receiving the intimacy 
that is the greatest form of intimacy. It, it, it produces a greater high and a greater sense of satisfaction than pornography could ever create for me. I know you don't believe that. I know, it's okay, it's okay. But it does. And when I find intimacy with God, then out of that can flow correct forms of intimacy in relationships that God has ordained. (laughs) And you would say, Matt, here's the deal. I really appreciate what you said, but I've prayed so many times that God would help me not engage in that addiction. And every single time I pray, it seems like it falls on deaf ears and I end up giving myself over to addiction again. I watch that, I see that, I do that. Matt, I've tried the formula, I've prayed, God doesn't hear my prayers. You must have different prayers than I have. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) All right. I'm saying to you that time alone with God, abiding in his presence, being with him, and allowing the spirit to commune in my heart actually is the picture of intimacy. And it is fulfilling and it is lasting. As a matter of fact, when you experience that, any perversion of intimacy outside of that seems disgusting. All right, now, you don't believe me. Do you know why you don't believe me? Because the power of addiction is believing that that is the greatest form that I can experience. Nothing could be greater than that. All right. Now, let me tell you something that is so powerful. When I read it, I was blown away. Now, I'm going to give you an insight physiologically in just a moment that I wish that I would have heard about. I'm not old. I'm 38. But I wish that I would have heard about this when I was 17. And chatting with the 60-year-old man that I thought was a 25-year-old woman, all right? I wish that I had that. I know, that's weird. Oh, my gosh. Let me just read it. This comes from, this comes from the research. It's so good. The question was asked an individual in, in, in this process who is an expert in this field. Listen to these words. I think the problem behind the problem to almost all brokenness in the world is commodification, the big word, he'll explain it in just a moment, of another human. We use, abuse, and exploit others or other humans for the thing we want money, power, satisfaction, or whatever. The minute a human becomes a stepping stone for something or to something else, that's the minute you turn the most glorious thing in the world, another human, into a product or commodity. I think the problem of porn starts there. He says in this, I read a quote somewhere that said something like, success success happens when a guy looks away from porn, not because of shame, but when he has such a high view of women that it's nearly impossible to get aroused from their exploitation. Do you see the shift? It's not about some guilt-ridden reason to leave. It's about, I've been with the Father, and He has revealed to me the greatness of His glory and the greatness of His creation, and I don't want to distort that. Now, as I said, I know that you're struggling to believe this morning that you could ever be that because addiction feels like a trap, a prison. There's no way of thinking differently. There's no way of doing life differently. 
Lo and behold, research comes along, right side of Scripture, technology advances to the point where we can begin to study the brain at a level we've never been able to study it before. And for the six other people in the room who like the geeky stuff that I'm about to read, stay tuned. There's an article written, fastcompany.com is the website it was posted on. The title is, Your Brain Has a Delete Button, Here's How to Use It. I'm like, I got to read that one. I need to delete some stuff from my brain. If you are like that in this room, this is an article for you. This is the way it starts. There's an old saying in neuroscience, neurons that fire together wire together. Have you heard that before? That's not new. I've heard that for many, many years. This means the more you, the more you run a neurocircuit in your brain, the stronger that circuit becomes. Stop for a moment. I'm going to give you some imagery here because it's really important. What, what scientists have discovered is that once you engage in an activity or once you learn something new or once something new is presented to you, there's a pathway that is formed in your brain. Neurons fire together. The synapse, the, tran the transfer of that information, uh, uh, draws those neurons together so that there's a pathway that is created. So that, this article is going to say this, so that, that practice can make perfect. In other words, the pathway is created. And the more that pathway is used, the stronger that pathway becomes. So, in terms of pornography, I wanted to use this, just this imagery for a moment. In terms of pornography, the first time... The, uh, oh, by the way, that's important to say if you're writing things down. This is the point. This is what we're going to see. Your brain can literally be rewired. Watch this in this, in this imagery. Um, in terms of pornography, I want to show you this image. This picture right here is, is, is a picture of a pathway. Now, this image represents what pornography use looks like over the course of a month. You look at pornography once or twice or three times. You form a pathway. This is, this is not very well developed, but it's defined enough that you can travel down it, you can see the road. You give yourself over to pornography for months and months and even a couple of years, and the pathway looks more like this. Easily traveled, heavily traveled, Chemicals that produce the high easily travel down this road. This has built a very strong pathway. Those who have been addicted to pornography or any addiction, by the way, for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, this is the way your brain looks. That pathway of addiction is so wide, so strong, so powerful that you cannot imagine your life in any other context. Trying to overcome it seems impossible in itself. Believing that there is a greater intimacy in a relationship with God than what that gives you is, is truly almost impossible for you to embrace. That's what this study shows. That's what's been fleshed out. And it's true in our lives. Now, take that imagery for a moment and just listen. For years, the article goes on to say, this has been the focus for learning new things. Strengthening these pathways allow me to, to, to learn how to do things better, allow me to gain more information. But as it turns out, and here's where you want to tune in, the ability to learn is about more than building and strengthening neurological connections. Even more important is our ability to break down the old ones. It's called synaptic pruning. Here's how it works. Imagine your brain is a garden, except instead of growing flowers, fruits, and vegetables, you grow synaptic connections between neurons. 
These connections, I'm sorry, these are connections that neurotransmitters like dopamine and uh, serotonin and others travel across. Glial cells are the gardeners of your brain. They act to speed up signals between certain neurons. But other glial cells are the waste removers, pulling up weeds, killing pests, raking up dead leaves. Your brain's pruning gardeners are called microglial cells. They prune your synaptic connections. The question is, how do they know, know which ones to prune? Did you follow that? In your brain, there are, there are cells, glial cells, and they are pruners. They are searching through your brain to try to figure out which pathways to remove. It's the delete button for your brain. How do they know which ones to use? Here's what the story goes on to say. Researchers are just starting to unravel this mystery, but what they do know is that the synaptic connections that get used less get marked by a protein, C1Q, as well as others. When the microglial cells detect that mark, they bond to the protein and destroy it or prune it, or prune the, syna- the synapse. All right, now, this is how your brain makes the physical space for you to build new and stronger connections so you can learn more. You ever felt like you were overloaded in your brain? You ever felt like that before? Like you learned so much new information? Maybe even right now you're like, I don't know if I can process all this, right? So what your brain is doing is gathering all that information. But at some point, your brain has the ability to search through all these different pathways and say, that one's not needed, that one's not needed, that one's not needed. And, a, and, a, and this, 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 this incredible pruning process takes place. Now, I don't have time this morning to read to you how important sleep is into this, but this survey says that the pruning, pro- or this article says the pruning plot process takes place when you sleep. If you heard nothing else today, go to bed and sleep, all right? That's going to be critical to, to this. Just rest. That's when the pruning takes place. The end of this section where it talks about sleeping, this is the conclusion of that part that leads to the ultimate conclusion of the article. Listen. Thinking with a sleep-deprived brain is like hacking your way through a dense jungle with a machete. It's overgrown, slow-going, exhausting. The paths overlap, those pathways, and light can't get through. Thinking on a well-rested brain is like wandering happily through Central Park. The paths are clear and connect to one another at distinct spots. The trees are in place. You can see far ahead of you. It's invigorating. And then the conclusion. And in fact, you actually have some control over what your brain decides to delete while you sleep. It's the synaptic connections you don't use that get marked for recycling. The ones you do use are the ones that get watered and oxygenated. So be mindful of what you're thinking about. If you spend too much time reading theories about the end of Game of Thrones and very little on your job, guess guess which synapses are going to get marked for recycling. If you're in a fight with someone at work, everyone needs to hear this, and devote your time to thinking about how to get even with them and not about that big project, you're going to wind up a synaptic superstar at revenge plots, but a poor innovator. To take advantage of your brain's natural gardening system, the article concludes, simply think about the things that are important to you. Your gardeners will strengthen those connections and prune the ones that you care about less. It's how you help the garden of your brain flower. It's remarkable. But then I think about Scripture in conclusion. Think about these words. Paul says, Whatever is holy, whatever is pure, 
whatever is full of love. He goes on and on to list these incredible things. Think on these things. You thought that was just a spiritual principle, but physiologically in your brain, when you're thinking on those things and not thinking of other things, C1Q attaches that pathway, pathway and says, delete. And when you do not look at pornography today, that pathway that's an eight lane, super highway through your brain, C1Q attaches to it and said, don't need that today. And then tomorrow when you don't look, C1Q attaches to that and said, don't need that. And eventually over the course of time, that eight Lane, super highway, dwindles down to a dirt path and then eventually to a walkway and then eventually turns back in to the original ground God created it to be. One day forward produces the ability to be set free. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of these worlds, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Church today, listen, hear me. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. They will be. And it's not because you try harder, but when you fall in love with Jesus and long for intimacy with him more than others, even in the course of one day, you're already seeing the results that's taking place, both spiritually and physiologically. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. For a moment, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.